If you have a Bible with you, I'd like you to turn to the passage we read from Genesis, uh, from Genesis chapter 11 and through into chapter 12. And God willing, I'd like to look over the next few times I preach at parts of the aspects of the life of Abraham. And so what we have in these verses that we read from Genesis earlier, it's the unravelling of God's redemptive plan through a man called Abraham. Abraham, rather. He later had his name changed to Abraham. And so from now on, I am going to call him Abraham because I think that's how we all know him. Abraham, by the way, it means a father of many nations. And it's one of the most widely recognised names found within the scriptures. Abraham is a man who the Jews, the Muslims, as well as we as Christians, revere. But for obviously differing reasons. Within the Bible, we read that he was a man who was greatly blessed by God. And James tells us that he had the great privilege of being called the friend of God. It was to Abraham that God chose to reveal a lot of his future plans for the salvation of his people. And many of these spiritual and material promises he gave to him are enjoyed by us to this day. As you read through the Bible, you'll find his name in many parts. In the Old Testament, there's this repeated refrain, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's mentioned several times in the New Testament as well. Um, We looked at what the martyr Stephen spoke about in one of the greatest sermons you'll ever find recorded in Acts chapter 7. He started off that sermon with the life of Abraham. James, in his second letter, speaks about Abraham's faith and the relationship to works. In Romans chapter 4, Paul looks at the righteousness of Abraham. In Hebrews chapter 11, we looked at that last week. We're given further insight into his faith and his life. And there are other passages too. He's widely mentioned because there are so many great lessons that we can draw from his life. What we see though from all these passages, it isn't so much the importance of who Abraham was. It was more what God did for him and the faith he had in Almighty God. It's often the diverging of human history of his immediate descendants, Isaac and Ishmael, into the two religions of Judaism and Islam that's drawn the focus of many people to his life. But the revelation of God's plans and promises and the spiritual picture that's actually found in his life that point forward to a greater man is the reason why Abraham's life is so profitable and to look at today, and the importance of it are the lessons that we can find through who it points to. And so with that as an introduction, I'd like to look at this passage together. The first mention of Abraham is in Genesis chapter 11, on the 26th verse. He's mentioned in this genealogy. And this genealogy is important because it paints to us a background picture. It introduces us to who he was and the environment in which he lived. Abraham was a direct descendant of Noah, and Noah had lived ten generations beforehand. Noah was the man, as I'm sure we're all aware, who God had preserved when he flooded the earth in divine judgment. Leading up to the ten generations before Noah, we turn and we come back to Genesis chapter 1, with the creation of Adam. And what we see ten generations before Noah is how sin 
came into mankind, how mankind fell. And in the ten generations leading up to Noah, we see the slow and steady envelopment of sin throughout the world from its Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 6, we read, The wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. That is why God destroyed the earth with a flood, preserving only Noah. He wanted to start again. But fast forward ten generations later from Noah to Abraham, and humanity was once again in this same state of evil and corruption. Humanity was completely estranged from a holy God. We read that the people, they were desperately wicked and sinful. And it's demonstrated in their pride and arrogance and disobedience to God's command in chapter 11 of Genesis. They built a great city and a tower in order to make a name for themselves. This Tower of Babel, as it came to be called, was mankind pitching itself directly against God and against his commands. They dared to think of themselves as equal to him, as being as great as him. They disobeyed his command to scatter over the face of the whole earth. And so the Lord, again in divine judgment, he scattered them over the earth and confused their languages. This was the sort of society and environment that Abraham was born into. He was born into Terah's family in Ur of the Chaldeans. Now Ur was a, village, uh, was a major city, rather, with about half a million people in it. And contrary to our 21st century misconceptions about these ancient civilizations, it wasn't primitive and basic, the conditions they lived in. These people were very advanced. Archaeologists have uncovered great treasures. There was a remnant of a very advanced civilization there. For the life of the average person, the life of the average person, rather, it would have been very comfortable. For those who were rich, it would have been extremely luxurious. And the people of Earth, they, they worshipped many gods. The chief deity amongst them was the moon god, and there was a great temple built in his honour. Abraham was born into this society, and his father, we read in Joshua, was a pagan. Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Doubtlessly, Abraham would have been raised in pagan worship and in the worship of false gods. That was the life of Abraham in this society. That is until one day God intervened. And this is my first point really this morning. God is always the first mover. In chapter 12 and the first three verses, we have the exact discourse of what the Lord said to Abraham. He said, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Before the revelation of any of these future blessings could come to fruition... Abraham was commanded to leave his country. Get out of your country. He had to leave the place of his birth, his home, and the companionship of his family. In return, God promises here there's a five-fold promise. He promised to make his name great, to bless him, 
to give him his own country, to make him a blessing to others, and to make him a father of a great nation. Things that from an earthly perspective seemed utterly impossible to actually the point of ridicule. Now perhaps I am a cynic, um, but I doubt I'm the only person here who's ever received an offer that sounds probably far less fetched than this and has dismissed it without a second thought. I'm led to believe by various emails and letters that the Faye family has a load of extremely rich relatives who live in distant lands who have managed to escape the rigours of the research of the family tree and, without my knowledge, have died, leaving me a vast fortune, which, for a small fee, I can unlock from probate. I've also received the holidays of a lifetime from competitions I absentmindedly never entered. What was presented to Abraham from an earthly perspective was far more improbable than all these cases I've just outlined to you. And yet we read that Abraham obeyed this command, these instructions he got. And he obeyed them because it was the word of God. We're not given any insight into what Abraham thought. He departed from Ur because it was enough that God had spoken. However improbable these promises may have seemed, God spoke and he went. And we see this throughout the Bible. In the creation account found in Genesis 1, we're told, God spoke and it was. Here was God revealing a new beginning for mankind through Abraham. God spoke and Abraham went. And it's this particular act of faith which the rest of the Bible focuses on more than any other act of faith in Abraham's life. And that includes the very well-known story of him offering up his only son Isaac on the altar. It is the act of Abraham obeying God's command and leaving his home. Hebrews 11 verse 8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. He did this despite all the worldly wisdom and understanding that suggested otherwise. And what we have here is a picture of our salvation. This is the method that God uses to draw people to himself, away from sin and away from the corruption and foulness of this world. And so you see that the history of Abraham, it starts with God. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen said this in the second and third verse. This is what Abraham says. Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Aran, and said to him, Get out of your country from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Until this point, we're given no indication that Abraham was sick of where he was. He was sick of Haran and the evil in its society. The whole world was corrupted, and it appears that he was accustomed to it. There was no desire for him to leave. There was no hope in his life, really, before God came into it and revealed himself. And this is the gospel of salvation. It's God revealing himself to man, and then man responding to the irresistible voice of God. God sought out Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, didn't he, as they tried to cover their nakedness and their shame. 
He later, he sought out Saul in similar manners. Saul wasn't looking for God, but on the road to Damascus, Christ sought him out. And this is a truth, that Christ seeks out sinful men and women who are not looking for him, and he reveals himself to them. And as God promised Abraham, many people will be drafted into his new kingdom from all facets and strands of humanity. In the book of the Revelation, in the seventh chapter, the Apostle John, he got a glimpse into heaven where we read in the 14th verse, he saw a great multitude which no one can number of all nations, tribes, peoples and tongues. There is no barrier, be it nationality, belief, that can prevent Almighty God from speaking into people's hearts. Is this something that you truly believe? Does this spur us on as a community of Christians and encourage us in prayer for those who God has not yet saved? That nobody, wherever they are from, is outside of his calling. I think what is also so remarkable about about Abraham's faith is how he gave himself over entirely to the word and promises of God despite the obvious hurdles that we've looked at. What we have to remember in our society today is that we have the complete word of God. We have all his revelations, all his promises, all the examples from history where we see his faithfulness and the miraculous provision that he makes for his people. These early saints in comparison, they knew far less about God's plans, far less about God's characters and promises than we do. These things were veiled from them. As Peter says in his first um, letter, of this salvation the prophets have inquired and they searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that will come to you. So it's for this reason we must consider how great Abraham's faith was in the light of his obedience and action. Even with the complete scriptures, it can be extremely difficult and a point of godly sorrow for many of us as we look over our failures to believe God's promises and to obey his commands. Very often the things that get in the way are our own understanding and our own feelings. We tend to rationalise things with human logic. It's fallen human logic. We read God's promises And then we look at the world around us and our faith crumbles away. There's this constant clash in life between the word of God on one hand and the word of man on the other. Just think of the stumbling blocks that Abraham faced as he left his land and and he thought on the promises of God. Sarah was barren. Chapter 11 and verse 30 makes that plain. She had no child. No doubt... It was a condition that had caused them both a great amount of distress. God was calling himself too to isolate himself from everything he knew, his friends, his land and his family and his city. Ur was a great city, we've looked at that. Haran, where they moved to, was also one of the greatest cities in the world at the time today. And yet God was calling Abraham to come out of these two great cities into an unknown land. I guess an example would be, if you wanted to make a vast fortune in a name for yourself today, logic would dictate that you went to a major city, somewhere like London or New York. You wouldn't go to a backwater sort of place, 
well, like, dare I say it, Ripon, or Canaan, as it was then. Canaan was not the destination that would make a 75-year-old man excited about the prospect of moving from the sophistication and the wealth of the city. But despite all these stumbling blocks, Abraham left his old life behind, and he followed the command of God. He gave himself over entirely to God and the Lord. He no longer relied upon his own understandings and his own activities. And we too also must believe God in spite of everything within us that says, I don't understand. Paul has some great words of encouragement as he thinks upon this topic in Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Abraham believed God in spite of what everyone doubtlessly said to him, and in spite of his own feelings. He answered his doubts and the best arguments of men and the devil with one thing only. God had said it, and it was his word. All he had to do was cling on to it. And as we see, cling on to it, he did. And that's because his faith and his conviction in God was deep-rooted. He was looking beyond the present world as he waited for the city whose foundation and whose builder and maker is God. Surely it was because of the strength of his faith that we read that Lot chose to go with him on the journey west into Canaan. And this is the challenge presented before us all today. The Bible calls us to follow God away from the world. God's word says, come out of my world, come out of the world rather that's under condemnation. Come out of your helplessness and your hopelessness and come and enjoy my riches that can be gained through the repentance of your sin and because of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. This is the gospel message that we find in the Bible. This is the message that is attacked and mocked by so many because it doesn't make any sense to them. But this is God's ways, not man's way. And this is the only way in which God deals with mankind. It was the same way Abraham came to faith as it is the way that we come to faith. It's by faith in God's solution. Have you trusted his word? Romans 4 verse 3 It says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Perhaps the issue that we do overlook most in this passage, though, is how God prepared Abraham before he received his word. In circumstances and events that many would just label as luck, good luck or bad luck, God was preparing the man of his choice so that when the appointed time arose, he was ready to go. This reminds us of the sovereignty of God, how he is in control of all things and all circumstances. The Lord, he looked down, he saw the evil and the rebellion of man. And he didn't just look around and say, that Abraham, he seems to be the best of a bad bunch, I'll have to make do with him. He had been preparing Abraham before time was. Abraham was always going to be God's man. And that's the only difference between the Christian and the world around. 
We have the promises of God. God has prepared us before the world began. And we have the knowledge that he is working within us in order to achieve his purposes. We're often surrounded by a lot of baseless optimism. Everything will be all right. You know, it's going to work itself out. It's based on nothing, just sentiment. But God's people have this knowledge that everything will result in a triumph. Everything will result in the way that he wants it to. It will build us up in our faith and everything is working together for our good. Think of the background of Abraham. We've looked and seen that his wife Sarah was barren. Not only was she barren, it was beyond all hope. She was beyond childbearing age. The eager anticipation of a child in a society where the women were judged by how many children they had was dashed. They must have shed so many tears over this, um, over this lack of an heir. They'd experienced tragedy when Abraham's brother Haran had died. And it seems that Abraham and Sarai um, took it upon themselves to care for his children. And scarcely at these times of great emotional distress, do you think that they could see God's guiding hand at work in their lives? The only thing that they could do was to cling on to God, not understanding, but believing in him. They were later bogged down when they left Ur of the Chaldees and Haran for five years. God had called them out, and yet seemingly they were stuck here. And so this awareness of how God often works in our lives... It's useful to give us some perspective of how he can prepare us. The difficult situations that we find ourselves in at the moment, they may well be a key part of God's preparation for a task that he will call us to in the future. Very often his plans, they're not transparent to us. But one day we will look back like Abraham did and understand how it all worked, how God's plan was worked into our lives. And what's very interesting here is, it's not just a lesson for young people, this, is it? Abraham was 70 when the Lord came to him. He was well above retirement age. Moses, too. He'd spent 40 years in the desert. He was 80 before he was called to God's purpose. And it's also a great illustration, too, of a future man. The Lord Jesus Christ, he began his ministry here on earth. And he had to wait 30 years before his great public ministry began. And those 30 years were key preparation for him. He had to experience all the difficulties and anguishes that we have. He had to experience the highs of life and the lows of life, the sin that surrounded him, in order that he may be able to faithfully represent us before God as our great high priest. He truly became the son of man who experienced everything that we did. And We can see the faith that this preparation had in him. He hung on the cross. It was the darkest hour that any man has ever faced. And it seemed as if God had deserted him. But we read in Luke chapter 23 and verse 46 that when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last He clung to his father, who'd always been there. He'd been there for the 30 years before his ministry began. He was there in the three years of his ministry. And he knew that he would never leave him or forsake him. 
And so even when it seems as if the blessings of heaven are shut away from us, the cries of our prayers are going unanswered, we must always remember that it's God's part of God's divine plan and preparation uh, of us for his purposes. Finally, though, Abraham, he had to go forward in faith and claim the promises. He had to claim them for himself. They didn't just flood onto him. And so they left Haran, we read, um, start of chapter 12. They leave Haran, and they went into this new land that God had given to them. Now, this was an age of great migration on the earth. There were lots of bands of people moving around, traveling all over the known world and beyond. And Abraham and his family, they would have just been another anonymous group of travelers on a dusty road. And as they walked west, how they must have wondered how God was going to make their name great. How they must have wondered how he was going to provide an heir for them. It was 25 years before Isaac came. But they continued doing what the Lord said. In Acts chapter 7, verse 5, Stephen said about Abraham as he walked into Canaan, he says, God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his own foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. Abraham knew as he walked into that land to claim the promises that the land was his. He was in no position to see how this would be fulfilled. That came later on. And a lesser man may have doubted God and chosen to walk by sight rather than by faith. But for Abraham, it was sufficient that God had brought him thus far and he would give him this land. And this is the blessing of assurance that all of God's children have. We may not be able to see how his promises will be revealed, but it's all all right because we know they will be. And so Abraham's progress through the land is trapped from verses 6 to 9. He doesn't just tentatively poke his foot in. He goes all the way from north to south. I don't think it would have been possible for him to go through secretly. He had all his servants and all his possessions with him. But he went through this land in a wholehearted manner. And it can't have been easy for him. Because in verse 6 we read, the Canaanites were then in the land. This land of promise was already inhabited. And as we know from later on in the Bible, these people had a reputation. They were fearsome. They were giants. They were warlike, aggressive people. They were renowned for their wickedness and their evil and all their vile, sinful practices. They were, in fact, so well known that God had given them over to judgment. In Deuteronomy 18, the ninth verse and 10th verse, we read of what the Lord God thought about these people. He says, When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abomination of those nations. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these, the abominations the Lord... Because of these abominations, the Lord your God will drive them out from before you. Abraham was a stranger, walking through this land. His personal safety was at risk. I think a modern equivalent would maybe be for one of us to walk through the Khyber Pass between Afghanistan and Pakistan today. It's a place where we would not go. Our life would basically be forfeit. But Abraham's faith upheld him in this really difficult task. 
we see that the Lord was with him. He knew what he was facing, and he drew near to him, and he gave him an encouragement, and he renewed his promises to him. In the seventh verse of Genesis 12, while he was passing through the land, we're told, The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. What a blessed time this must have been for Abraham. God drew near to him in the midst of a hostile, difficult land. He drew near to him as he was walking through this world and uplifted him with his closeness and his presence and the continuing nature of his promises. And the Lord God, he still to this day continues to assure and to lead his people today. In John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. God's Spirit abides in his people when they walk in his paths today. God's Spirit upholds us, it keeps us in the difficult times. And it's because of this faith that Abraham had in God, because of God's presence with him, that we're told he built an altar. In this hostile land, here was a very public confession of his faith and trust in the true living God. For Abraham, worship was essential. It was a natural part of who he was. And the question is this morning, is worship essential and natural to you because of your faith in God? Do you still continue to faithfully trust and obey and claim God's promises, even though they might be veiled from your sight? The world has luck, but God's children have this perfect assurance that everything will turn out for our good, even if it is hidden from our sight for a while. And so, from this chapter, we see Abraham's faith. And our prayer should be that God would increase our faith and our understanding of his ways and help us as we follow him and his promises through life's way. Amen.